Hello, Grace. Thank you for joining us today. I want to also thank Matt and Ben for putting together that life hack video. It's a great reminder in a fun little way uh, to talk about the situation that we're in with teleworking and Zoom conferences that we can't just dress up from the waist up, but putting on a real pair of pants will change our focus and our perspective for the day. Uh, it's a great thing to do. I'm Brian. I'm the campus pastor here in Arlington and our group's pastor. And I want to invite you to my home. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to let you know that everything outside the camera frame that you're seeing is complete chaos. So I've been trapped inside for six weeks with two boys, a four-year-old and a 10-month-old. And we've had to do a lot of cleaning up, a lot of reorganizing so that you could focus on today's message and not get sucked into the chaos that is my life from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. It, it can be hard to connect with God in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. Very hard. We often want God in these moments to rush into our lives and get our attention like a four-year-old on a sugar high. You know, Eli has a tendency, you know, if he hits that sugar high to run in from the other room, screaming, yelling, jumping up and down, latching onto my leg and spinning around. He will do nothing less for my attention. He wants my full focus. And we want God to rush in like that and just capture our attention. You know, it can be in the midst of the craziest of times, but that would capture our attention. But God doesn't often work that way. He doesn't often work that way. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how do we see God? How do we connect with God in the times of chaos? It was about four weeks ago that Eli and Isaac and Joanne and I were at the dinner table, actually the one right behind me. And we're having dinner, and it's been a long, one of those long, frustrating days. And it wasn't my best moment, but Eli looks at his hands and he says, my hands are too small. And I just want some peace and quiet. Like I want to enjoy my dinner. It'd been a long day. And I look at him and I say, buddy, it's okay. Like your hands will grow as you grow. A couple seconds go by and he says, my hands are too small. At this point, you know, as I said, it's not my best moment. I'm exhausted. And I look at him and I say, let's not worry about it. Just take another bite of food. Okay. And third time. He looks at his hands and he says, they're just too small. And I can see he's getting upset now. And something in me clicked. And I shifted my focus to him. Instead of all the stuff that was going on in my mind, I shifted my focus to him. And I was able to really connect with him and say, you know, why do you say that? Why, why is this upsetting you? And in true four-year-old fashion, he doesn't answer my question. But he goes on. He says, my hands are too small. God's hands must be really big. They must be really big because he's got the whole world in his hands. My hands are just too small. And he's upset about this. And that's been a great reminder. It stuck with me for the past four weeks that God's hands are so big that he holds the whole world. And I, I describe our house as a walking musical. And um, at that moment, we all burst into the song. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. It was a great moment to focus our attention. It's been helping me focus for the past four weeks. And what I've discovered, what I feel God is saying to me over and over again is our focus can either frustrate us or free us. Your focus can either frustrate you or free you. It makes all the difference in the world. There's a great quote. You may have heard it. What captures your attention controls your life. What captures your attention controls your life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about our focus because he wants to shift it so that we are then captivated by something more meaningful. And we begin to see it pop up throughout the day. There was a psychologist on today's show two weeks ago. She talked about the four M's of mental health, mindfulness, mastery, movement, and meaningful engagement. And I want to talk a little bit about that first one, mindfulness. 
And mindfulness can be a lot of different things from situational awareness to being aware of our thoughts and our breathing pattern to our posture. But I believe Jesus has a unique twist on mindfulness that takes us to the deeper meaning of who we are and how we can connect with God. So let's look at John 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now there's some cool things in this. So Jesus, the day before, had just fed 5,000. They'd taken five barley loaves and fed 5,000. The crowd is pursuing him. Because the crowd wants them to fill their bellies again. He, they expect Jesus to be their king, to lead them to national independence, to give them all the provisions that they, they need for the daily basis. Basically, they take them from the lower rungs on the social ladder to the top. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're not following me because you understood the meaning of what I did. You're following me because you had a special miraculous meal. You had a monumental moment, but you missed the meaning of it. And I believe you and I are often missing the meaning of what God is doing. We're not seeing him throughout the day, but we're getting lost by looking for these monumental moments. And so Israel, and I believe a very sincere and honest way, says, okay, if we miss the point of it, what is the point? What do we actually need to do to do what God requires of us? And Jesus says it very simply, believe in me. And at this point, the crowd's like, what in the world are you talking about? Believe in you for what? The fact that you've been sent by God, that you're the Messiah? I don't know if we can do that. If you truly are the Messiah, then do a miraculous work. And for years, I'd gotten hung up on this, you know, seeming like the crowd was so dense. You know, why are they asking Jesus to do this miraculous work when he had just fed 5,000 of them the day before out of five loaves of bread? How can they ask for miraculous work? He just did it. But then they go on. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And so to see why they're confused about what Jesus is doing and who he is, we have to compare Jesus and Moses. We have to compare Jesus and Moses the way that a first century Jew would. So Israel was in captivity for over 400 years in Egypt. And that last generation that they were in captivity, they really began to suffer. Egypt began to, to lay the hammer down on them. They were really oppressed and they cried out to God and God heard them. And they, God sends this representative named Moses. And Moses leads them out of Egypt. And the whole goal is to get to the promised land, what is now modern day Israel, get to the promised land where they could rest. They could have national independence. They could be their own people. And more than anything, they can experience God. They could worship God freely. The problem is, is from day one of coming out of Egypt, Israel began to grumble. They began to lose trust in God. And Moses is leading this whole nation, about a mil over a million people. And the journey should have taken about two weeks to get to Israel from Egypt. It took them 40 years. 40 years. I know we've been stuck in our home a long time, but could you imagine 40 years without a home? They're wandering in the desert, and they began grumbling against Moses, says, you brought us out here to die. 
where will we get food? Moses begins to worry and looks at the crowd and he says, where can I, how can I feed this such a large crowd? It's the same situation Jesus is in. He says, how can we feed such a large crowd? And God does something miraculous. And this is what we have to, to compare to because Israel in the first century had developed this theology that the Messiah, the one who would come from God, would open up the treasury of manna again. He would perform the same miracle that Moses did, that it would be something national, that God's presence would come down, that God's provision would come down, that they would again be walking in the ways of God and full national independence. The Messiah was to do all these things. And so Israel looks at Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, you haven't really fulfilled this. And I used to think they were crazy. But once I began to break it down, I began to agree with them. Jesus doesn't fulfill it. He doesn't do this monumental miracle. Okay, feed 5,000 is pretty cool, but let's, let's line them up. So Moses feeds an entire nation, over a million people. Jesus feeds 5,000. Moses feeds them for 40 years. Jesus gives them one meal. Moses works out of nothing. Like the Israelites come out of their tents in the morning and it's just there on the ground for them to take. Free meal every day out of nothing. Jesus has to borrow a little boy's lunch. Has to borrow it. And it's a poor boy's lunch. So it's dry barley loaves and dried fish, which leads to the last comparison. Moses gives them manna. In Exodus 16, manna is described as this flaky, like bread substance that tastes like honey. Like it's like the Hawaiian roll. You know, you can just kind of put them down and enjoy them. Jesus gives them barley loaves and it's likely coarse flour dried out. It's probably a couple days old. It's the type of bread that you have to like soak in butter just to get down. So I ask you, who's better? Moses or Jesus? The crowd looks and says, there is no comparison. Moses and is 10 times better than Jesus. Moses and manna had become monumental figures in Israel's history. But Jesus is trying to tell the crowd and he's trying to tell you and I, that we're missing the deeper meaning. Instead of looking for God to rush in like a four-year-old on a sugar high, grabbing our attention, we got to look for the meaningful things throughout the day because over and over again, Israel sees signs but miss the meaning. They see the miraculous signs, but they miss the meaning of what Jesus is doing. And that's what the Gospel of John has been all about. This biography of Jesus that John has written time and time again gives this monumental miracle, this sign, but then he follows it up with a story and it, it describes to the, to the crowd, to the reader, to you and I, that they're missing the deeper meaning. See, it's not enough for God to do miracles if we don't understand the meaning. It's not enough for God to have break and do something monumental if we miss the meaning. And that's what Jesus is saying. We have to look for the deeper meaning. We have to focus on the meaning of what's happening. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 32. He says to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He changes their focus. So Israel has these set of stories in their history. And he's reminding them that you've missed two key words. This manna that Moses gave you came from heaven, came from heaven. Moses didn't give it to you. Instead, we, instead of looking to those around us, to those monumental moments, we have to realize that we need to be looking to what comes from heaven. 
Because what comes from heaven leads to life. What comes from heaven leads to life. Changes everything for us. Instead of changing something for a nation, which is what Moses did, God wants to change something for this whole world, for the entire world, because he's got the whole world in sand. He's focused on the bigger picture. And our focus changes everything. A couple of years ago, I was introduced to a new employee as the staff curmudgeon. Can you imagine that? Hey, not here's Brian. He's our group's pastor, or our campus pastor. It was Here's Brian. He is our staff curmudgeon. I know it's hard to believe. But every now and then, maybe once in a while, maybe more often than not, I can be a bit of a downer. Um, you know, my wife often has these ideas and my first response is often no. If it's a new idea for work or something that costs money or, you know, a creative thing that we want to try, my go-to solution was, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be worth the effort. I don't know if it's going to be worth the change. I don't know if it's going to be worth the money. I can be a bit of a downer. I'm not an early adopter. Introduced as a staff curmudgeon until I read a book. And it's called The Answer to How is Yes by Peter Block. The Answer to How is Yes by Peter Block. I don't recommend buying the book. I'll give you the full synopsis here. I'll save you the money. He says that our focus can either shut down creativity or blow the doors off creativity. It can either lead to life or it can lead to death. And he says too often we short circuit this process of creativity by beginning with no, by seeing the negatives in things, by Asking the question, how? How is this possible? How is this going to happen? And he says, if we make one small shift, one small focus shift, that it'll lead to life, it'll lead to productivity, it'll lead to creativity, it'll change everything for us. So so he says, instead of asking the question, how? To just respond with yes, and then work through all the options, the potentials, the possibilities, the creativity. That small focus shift changed everything for me. I still fail. I still have that knee-jerk reaction to to lead with no. But man, has that book changed my focus. Our focus either frustrates us or frees us. Either frustrates us or frees us. And so we have to change what we're doing. See, Israel had focused at the wrong thing. And they were missing its meaning by looking for the monumental miracles. And it was leaving them frustrated. In the remaining verses, Jesus basically breaks down his case. And he says this, make me a part of your life and you'll experience eternal life, true life. He writes, or he says, the one who believes has eternal life. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And this is usually where we get hung up. Pastor John talked about it a little bit last week. Talking about flesh as bread, something you eat is very odd. It's very weird. But Jesus is not really focusing on the bread piece. He's talking about what comes down from heaven. And instead of us focusing on our daily needs, he's saying, you need to focus on me. You need to take me inside of you. Because when I come inside of you, when I become part of who you are, then everything for your life begins to change. He is drawing a profound distinction between him and Moses. He's saying, Moses gave you nothing. In reality, if you look back at your scriptures, Israel, it says bread came from heaven. Moses didn't give you anything. The deeper meaning, we're looking for the deeper meaning. He contrasts Moses, and this is why Jesus is better than Moses, because Moses didn't technically give Israel anything, but Jesus gives his whole life for the life of the world. That's the difference. Jesus gives his whole life for the life of the world. And focusing on the meaning of Jesus's life enables us to experience life. 
Focusing on the meaning of Jesus' life allows us to experience life in a new and profound way. He wraps up this little lesson, what Jesus is giving to this crowd, the explanation of the deeper meaning in verses 52 through 59. Here's the logic. I'll read it to you. Jesus says, if I am the true bread of life, the source of eternal and fulfilling life, by consuming me, you will never be consumed by death. By taking me inside of you, you will never be consumed by fear. You'll never be consumed by emptiness. If you consume me, you are taking in life itself. That's what Jesus is trying to tell the crowd. That's what he's trying to tell us. But the crowd missed it because they were so focused on the monumental moments that they were missing the meaningful ones. We want to see God show up throughout the day. We have to be looking for the meaningful moments. We have to slow down and sit up. We need to pay attention to what God wants to do and what he is saying so that we can see him in the midst of the chaos. It's powerful to remember back to the beginning of John, John 1, 17, that John has actually laid this story out, this contrast from the beginning. It says that the law came through Moses, all the rules, the regulation, the tradition, that the law came through Moses. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. The deeper meaning. Looking for God to break in in the small, meaningful ways and to experience true life, we have to focus on the life of Jesus. John 10, 10 says, I have come, speaking of Jesus, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What captures your attention controls your life. What captures your attention controls your life. Are you captivated by the story, the life of Jesus? Because if we want to experience true life, if we want to see the deeper meaning of life, to understand the meaning of who God is and who God has created us to, then we have to focus. We have to be captivated by the story of Jesus Christ, by the life of Jesus, because he gives his life so that the whole world might experience life, just like Eli looking at his hands. Say, my hands aren't big enough. God has the whole world in his hands and he's revealed it to us through Jesus who gives his life for the life of the world. Are you captivated by this story? In verse 58, Jesus wraps it up and says, he who feeds on this bread will live forever. It's a powerful truth. Your focus feeds your soul. And whatever feeds your soul will create the story of who you are. What are you feeding your soul on a daily basis? Last week, we talked about cutting a bunch of stuff out and controlling the content. And this morning, I want to talk about what we take in. What are we feeding ourselves? And I want to pull us back to an age-old tradition, one that I've been doing for years. It's made a huge difference in my life. And it's allowed me to see Jesus throughout the day, to see faith, to see God, to see the deeper meaning throughout the day in the midst of the chaos. And it's this one simple truth. Focusing on the story of Jesus Christ, focusing on scripture. It's an age old tradition, but one thing that's changed it for me in the past two weeks is the YouVersion Bible app. And I'm going to encourage you right now to download, if you don't already, it's got over 5 million followers or viewers or downloads for the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that, go ahead and download the YouVersion Bible app because it gives you one verse a day. And here's the twist I want you to do the twist on mindfulness. Take the verse that it gives you that day. And then the notebook that John has been talking about for the past three weeks. And I want you to write that verse down. The studies have shown over and over again, when we handwrite something, it imprints it into our mind. It changes our mind. It begins to rewire us, changes our identity. So take that verse from the YouVersion YouVersion Bible app, write it down. And then I want you to highlight what stands out to you out of that verse. 
Highlight what matters. So write it down, highlight what matters, and then say a quick prayer that is based on that verse. Out of the verses that we've read today, you know, if I were to write down verse 58, the one I just read to you, he who feeds on this bread will live forever. I would write that down. I would circle the words that mattered to me and then say this quick prayer. God, help me to feed on your words that I might experience true life. This week, carve out five minutes. That's all you need, five minutes a day. Open up the YouVersion Bible app, grab your notebook, write it down. Practice this habit of mindfulness where it refocuses us. Because I believe that when we focus on the story of Jesus Christ, it frees us. And a lot of the other frustrations start to melt away. We begin to see God throughout the day in meaningful ways. Let's pray. Father, we commit all these things to you. And we ask that you would help us to take on this fullness of life that you promised us in John 10.10 and help us to do that by focusing on your story, your life, that we might experience true life. In Jesus' name. Amen.